morning. Sounds like you can hear me, so I'm going to get rid of this. Well, let's ask God's blessing on our time in His Word. Amen? Father, thank you so much that we can be together, family of God here at PCF, December 20th, 2015. We just bless you and praise you. I pray for any who are sick in the congregation this morning, that right now in Jesus' name, you would heal them. Father, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You are a miracle-working God. You are a supernatural God. Lord, we put our full faith and trust in you. And we ask that we might receive the blessing of your healing in Jesus' name. Help us as well to concentrate on your word this morning. I pray that whatever is of you would remain, whatever is of me would be blown away. We just praise you and bless you and thank you for each other, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's begin this morning by reading once again the Christmas story from Luke 2. This is the reason we're here, to celebrate the birth of our Lord. Starting chapter, uh, verse 1, chapter 2 of Luke. Now it came about in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all were proceeding to register for the census, everyone to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. And it came about that while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy, which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased came about when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came in haste and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby 
as he lay in the feeding trough. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen just as had been told them. When Jesus began his adult ministry, we find out quickly that he is a master at asking questions. Have you ever noticed what the first question of Jesus' ministry was? It's in the Gospel of John. He asked one question question in Luke when he was uh, found in the temple by his parents, he asked the question, but when he became uh, anointed for his ministry in the world, he asked a question that's first recorded in John chapter 1, and that question is this, he was um, out there with John the Baptist and his disciples, and two of John's disciples began to follow Jesus instead of John. And he turned and he said, what? What do you seek? In our language, it would be, what do you want? What do you want? What a, what a profound question to come from the lips of our Lord. My hypothesis this morning is that what we think we want is often different than what we find out we really want. I'm reminded of a story of a young father who wanted to really bless his eight- or nine-year-old daughter with a great Christmas gift. So very early in the year, he asked her, Honey, what would you like for Christmas? I really want to get you what you want for Christmas. And the little girl, she was tentative, but she uh, was able to get out, Daddy, I would like a little brother for Christmas. And... To the family's delight, the mother actually brought home a brand new baby boy on Christmas Day of that year. Oh, they were so happy. And um, the next January, or just a month or so later, the father thought, I'll ask again. And so he said to the little girl, honey, what would you like for Christmas this year? And this time she was very bold because she got what she wanted last year. So she said, well, I would like you to take my little brother back to the doctor. And uh, if it's not too much trouble for Mama, I would like to have a pony instead. <laughs> you might have heard about the little boy named Brian who absolutely knew what he wanted. For Christmas, he said he wanted a watch. In fact, he was bugging his parents about it mercilessly. Finally, his dad told him, Brian, if you mention that watch again, you are not going to get it. Now stop bugging us. Brian stopped mentioning the watch. One night, Brian's parents asked him to say grace before dinner. And Brian said, I'd like to quote a scripture verse. Before I pray, oh, his parents were thrilled. Our boy is memorizing scripture. He said, this comes from the King James Version. 
Mark 13, 37. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. Some of us know what we want, but most of us only know what we think we want. We see in the Christmas story here that we've read in Luke 2, we see the coming of Christ and we see God's plan, God's plan to give us what we really want. He offers us the atmosphere of the kingdom of God and he also offers us his son, the savior of the world. Specifically, this coming that we read about offers us the wonder that we find in the kingdom of God. It offers us the humility of the kingdom of God, the peace of the kingdom of God, the joy of the kingdom of God, and the Christ child, the very Son of God. Let's take a look at each of these in turn and ponder them and ask ourselves the question over and over, what do we want? in this life? What do we really want? First, we see that God will give us the atmosphere of heaven in the form of wonder. Look at verse 18. All who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. Now, wonderful means what? Wonderful means full of mystery, full of delight full of enticement, curiosity, fascination, and desire. God will give us wonder. In the Proverbs, uh, a man named Agur writes this, There are three things which are too wonderful for me, four which I do not understand. The way of an eagle in the sky, the way of a serpent on a rock, the way of a ship, in the middle of the sea, and the way of a man with a maid. A few weeks ago, I personally discovered the eighth wonder of the world. Uh, we, Laura and I took three of our grandsons, Elias and Kemper and Toby, to... Um, Dallas to um, the eighth wonder of the world called Legoland. Now, we walked in there, and I thought, I was expecting castles of Lego. I was expecting things, you know, these huge uh, buildings. But really, the place is kind of small, and, and uh, I, I, my initial impression was this is not going to keep them busy all afternoon. Well, five hours later, we stumbled out of there, each of them with a, a Lego, a new Lego box, because, of course, they route you through the store on the way out. We made our way to an exciting place called um, Great Wolf Lodge. Great Wolf Lodge. It has an indoor water park that I think is better than Big Splash. I'm sorry, but it, it's better. And after a few hours of playing in this tremendous water park. The boys settled down in our room, and for the rest of the weekend, basically, all they wanted to do was play Legos. And I thought, this is wonderful. 
I was able to watch a little football. I was able to sleep. Um, they just played so well with their Legos. Do we have any adults here who like Legos? Jim, I want you to take these, hold your hands high, because you probably should be reading your Bibles when you're playing Legos. Ravi Zacharias talks about wonder in his book, Can Man Live Without God? And he's, he starts by saying that the wonder of a child is a glimpse into heaven itself and the kingdom of God. He writes, what is it about a child that fascinates us? More to the issue, what is it that fascinates a child? The answer to both questions is the same. Is it not the sense of wonder that pervades much of what a child sees and experiences? He writes, a child gasps a dozen times a day, overwhelmed by life's sublime offering. Watch the face of a child at her first taste of ice cream as her whole body gyrates, pleading for more. Linda and I were in, and uh, Jim and my daughter Abigail, we were in China, and we took a bunch of uh, orphans to a restaurant for the first time in their lives. And we watched them as they tasted uh, carbonated pop, you know, soda. Some of them just scrunch up their faces and shake their heads and push it away, and others would do the same and then want more. Listen to a boy chuckling as his father chases him at play in the front lawn. The laughter and merriment from simple yet exquisite delights keep the youngster's heart full. Each experience is entered into fully, resisting only sleep, lest the little one miss a moment of fun, the wonder of a child. He goes on to tell a story, a personal story, about crossing the Allenby Bridge from uh, Jordan back to Israel. And uh, it was a time of intense political uh, warfare, and and, uh, everything was like a powder keg. And he was told that he would be taken into an interrogation room and vigorously interrogated, and it would probably take all day. He says, I really didn't know how to prepare my daughter for the experience. She was barely two years old. We were surrounded on every side by machine gun clutching soldiers whose glares led us to believe that we were all guilty of something. There were sandbags piled against every wall and a real sense of unease pervaded the room. Finally, it was our turn to be interrogated. Unknown to me, as she surveyed the room filled with armed guards, Sarah, my two-year-old daughter, had locked eyes with a young Israeli soldier who was staring back at her in eye-to-eye combat. Suddenly and strangely, there was a moment of silence in the room, broken by the squeaky little voice of my daughter, saying to the soldier, Excuse me, sir, do you have any bubble gum? Words alone cannot fully express to you what that little voice and plea did for everyone in the room, where hitherto the weapons of warfare and the world of adult ideas had held everyone at bay. All who understood English 
could not repress a smile. And all who did not understand English knew a soldier's heart had been irresistibly touched. All eyes were on him now. He paused for a moment, then carefully handed his machine gun to a colleague. He came over to where we were standing, looked endearingly at Sarah, and picked her up in his arms. He took her into a back room and returned a few minutes later with her on one arm. And in the other hand, he carried three glasses of lemonade on a tray, one for my wife, one for Sarah, and one for me. We were in and out of there in 25 minutes. In fact, the young soldier brought his Jeep to the door and drove us to the taxi stand, sending us on our way to Jericho. If you will pardon the pun, another wall had fallen. I have often remarked that Sarah earned her year's keep with that one little question, voiced at the right time. What do we want? I want to submit to you this morning that only God is big enough to keep us in wonder for a lifetime. Only God and his kingdom is big enough to keep us in wonder for a lifetime. His name is wonderful. His name is wonderful. What do we want? Do we want a life of nothing new under the sun? Or do we want a life of wonder? Jean-Paul Sartre, I've mentioned it before, is an existential atheist, wrote about the condition of man, and he called his book Nausea. What I haven't told you is that the book take, took place in a town called Beauville, which translated means mud town. So, let me ask you, do we want a life of nausea in mud town? Or do we want to walk in the wonder of God, gasping a dozen times a day? I choose wonder. I want wonder. I want the kingdom of God. B.B. King sings, The thrill is gone, baby. No, it's not in the kingdom of God. Jim Downing, how was that? Is that okay? Good, thank you. What do we want? What do we really want in this life? If we enter the kingdom of God and the atmosphere of heaven, we also see humility, don't we? In the birth of Christ, we see the humility of God. The word humble or humility comes from the Latin word, the same word from which we get the word human, that decomposing matter on a forest floor. And we see the humility of God in the circumstances of Jesus' birth. Consider this that his birth was announced to poor men, common men, illiterate men, shepherds. If you are a poor man, if you are an ordinary man, if you are an uneducated man, whoever you are, this gospel is for you. God is for you. God is with you. God loves you. He announces good news of great joy. He was born in a feeding trough in a dirty barn. He was born to unwed teenage parents 
The scriptures say that Jesus wasn't much to look at. Mothers, he may have truly been an ugly baby. He was called a man of sorrows, well acquainted with grief. He died a shameful, criminal death on the cross. D.L. Moody said of him, he was born in a borrowed cradle, marched into Jerusalem on a borrowed donkey, ate his last meal in a borrowed upper room, and was buried in a borrowed grave. Maybe you are suffering today. Maybe you've been brought low. This gospel is for you. Anybody in this room have a problem with pride? A few quotes on pride. The first from John Stott. A remarkably humble man of great abilities and accomplishments who is often said to have made the greatest impact for Christ of anyone in the 20th century. He said, pride is your greatest enemy and humility is your greatest friend. Anybody say amen to that? Anybody tired of the pride in your heart? C.S. Lewis said, according to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil, is pride. Sexual sin, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete antithesis, anti-God state of mind. It is pride which has been the chief cause of misery in every nation and every family since the world began. One more is by the divine John Chrysostom. He once remarked, for just as pride is the root of all sins, so humility is the root, the mother, the nurse, the foundation, and the bond of all virtue. Remember how our Lord said, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for I am what? Gentle and humble of heart. I am amazed by the humility of God and the humility in his kingdom. I crave humility in my own life. And I love it when I see it in other people. Let me ask you, what do you want in this life? Do you want humility? Or do you want pride? Do you want humility? Or do you want to be on your own little throne? What do you want? We also see in this story that God announces and will give us peace. That was what the focus of our Advent candle this morning was about. At the tail end of the appearance of the shepherds, heaven was cracked open and they saw a heavenly host. Let's look at 13 and 14. Suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. 
to me it's fascinating that God would announce his kingdom and the birth of his Christ child and what he would promise. Would you expect peace? Would you expect that to be what God would offer? I don't know. It, it's a good one, but you might you might think, oh, no, he'd offer love or he'd offer joy or something. But think about how hard people try to achieve peace. Most people figure there is peace in pleasure, and so we pursue pleasure. Others try to follow strict religious codes. If I am rigorously religious, I will find peace, some say to themselves. Others try to find it in nature. Others in political action to achieve peace and meaning by improving society. If I can only leave a legacy. We hear that a lot on the news today, don't we? About legacy. Some say know thyself, although I have to laugh at that one because I remember Terry Ligon preaching up here and saying that if he focuses too much on himself, he just gets depressed. Then there's the study of wisdom, Confucianism, or in animism, appeasing the spirits. If I can appease all the spirits around me, I will have peace. Western man, wealthy man, we pursue wealth and materialism, maybe renown or business success. Some way in the east and even here pursue inner states of nothingness. Gordon, that was sort of your pursuit for a time before Christ filled your nothingness. Drugs, altered realities. Some of us watch the news wishing that someone would just throw us one crumb of peace. We all seek love, but even behind love, I think a strong argument can be made that we are seeking peace. We know that the truth is real peace is found in a person. Real peace is found in the person of Jesus Christ, whose government there shall be no end or of his peace. Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, born a child and yet a king. Billy Graham said that this was the message of his entire life is that peace can only be found through right relationship with God. He said he basically had one sermon, and he reworked that sermon a gazillion times. That message is found in his 1953 book, Peace with God, The Secret of Happiness. Here are a few scriptures. This is probably the one he used the most. Romans 5, verse 1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The elders, this Tuesday, we were leaving the elders meeting and just kind of overwhelmed by the needs of the body, by the things you suffer and you go through, as well as other needs that we know of around the country. And we were reciting Isaiah 26, 3 to each other. Thou dost keep them in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed upon thee, because he trusts in thee. 
That is a verse to take to the bank. That is a verse to carry around in your spirit. Thou dost keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon thee because he trusts in thee. And then John 14, 27, My peace I give to you, not as the world gives I, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Have you ever considered that there is perfect peace thinking about the fact that the physical world has rules. Uh, Mark Gunger, in his series called Laughter Away to a Better Marriage, he says marriage has rules, just like the physical world has rules. And to give an example, he said, if you're going 70 miles an hour around a 30-mile-an-hour curve, he said, it doesn't matter if you're listening to Christian radio and you have a Jesus bobblehead on your dash. You're going to go off that road. You're not going to be able to hang in there at 30 miles an hour just because you're a Christian. And then he goes on to say marriage has rules too. And you can break the rules if you want, but there's going to be a lot of misery and a lot of unhappiness. You can't bite and devour one another and expect to cuddle with that person. The physical world has rules. Marriage has rules. God has rules. If we want his peace, we need to surrender to him. Amen? We need to enter into his kingdom. But there we find peace. We find oneness. We find the humility that we crave. The ability to defeat the pride in our lives. God has rules. Also, God will give us joy. There is joy in his kingdom. Verse 10 says, I bring you tidings of good news and a great joy. I've long maintained that joy is the disposition of heaven. It's not something we can conjure up. If you remember, uh, there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. When we finish our race here on earth, we are to enter into what? The joy of your master. Joy may be the the predominant emotion in heaven. Even in adversity, count it all joy when you meet various trials. In Acts 13.52 we read, And the disciples were continually filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. I've really enjoyed uh, the last couple of months meeting with Millard's parents uh, once a week just for 
for fellowship and to share life. Millard, we've had a good time, haven't we? And uh, one day, Millard, Millard was telling me that, um, he was telling me in the early weeks that he really, and it, this is not talking out of school because he has shared this from the pulpit and I have permission to share it. He has battled depression uh, most of his life, if not all of his life. But one morning he came to meet with me and Millard was full of joy because in the night, Millard often wakes up in the middle of the night and spends time with the Lord. And this particular night, uh, God had revealed to Millard that God is a joyful person. He started reciting verses like, the joy of the Lord is our strength. He started mentioning that the second fruit of the Spirit is joy. Love, joy, joy. He, uh, he, he quoted 1 Chronicles 16.27, Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. Strength and joy are in his place. He said, God is celebrating. God is a celebrating God. And then he went on to talk about the context of Nehemiah 8. And he said that Ezra and Nehemiah were reading the law to the people in a way that they could understand it. And the people were, were convicted and they began to weep. And they began to say to, to each other, Ezra to, and Nehemiah to the people and the people to them, this day is holy to the Lord. This day is holy to the Lord. And it was. But then Ezra and Nehemiah did this. They said, this day is holy to the Lord, but do not weep. Instead, celebrate a great festival. Eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those with nothing prepared. Those of you who like to eat, men, not women, but men, wouldn't you love for someone to say to you, eat the fat? You know, eat the fat, James, I see you, I feel you. Eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those with nothing prepared. God is a joyful person, Millard said. Millard has a conviction that he will not embrace anything that, that he does not see in the character of God. And we're agreeing that this will be a real death blow to that depression that he battles. Amen? God is a joyful God. God will give us joy in his kingdom instead of sadness. What do you want? Do you want that joy? And then finally, and most importantly, God has given us his very son, Jesus Christ. Let's look at 10b and 11 of our text. I bring you good news of a great joy which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Someone has said if our greatest need had been information, he would have sent a teacher. If our greatest need was technology, God would have sent a scientist. 
If our greatest need was money, an economist. If our greatest need was pleasure, he would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness. So God sent us a Savior. Isaiah 55, 7 says, Let the wicked man return to the Lord, and he will have compassion on him. He will abundantly pardon. Psalm 86, 5, For thou, O Lord, art good and ready to forgive. Psalm 103.12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Acts 10.43, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. And Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Yes, our God is a forgiving God. Miracle of forgiveness is resting in our hearts today. What is forgiveness? Forgiveness is taking the debt upon yourself that someone else owes, or having the debt that you owe someone else taking it upon themselves. You see, If you come to my house and you break a precious lamp of mine and I forgive you, you are released from the penalty of breaking the lamp, which is the cost of replacing it or repairing it. But someone still has to pay for that work to be done. And in this case, that person is me. I swear to my own hurt in releasing you from the debt owed, and I release perceptions of anger and frustration and disappointment in you and return your perception of love. This is what God through Christ has done for us. He took on himself the debt and penalty and cost we owed because of our sin in order to provide forgiveness to us. The Lord was pleased to crush him, Isaiah says, putting him to grief. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall upon him. Famous Baptist minister in the 1800s, Octavius Winslow, said it this way Christ took our cup of grief, our cup of the curse, our cup of sin, and pressed it to his lips and drank it down to its dregs. And then he filled it with his sweet, pardoning, sympathizing love and gave it back to us to drink and to drink. Forever. I want to say again this morning, God has given us the atmosphere of his kingdom. Wonder, humility, peace, joy, and even his very self. How can anyone turn back that distance? How can anyone turn their back? 
Will you surrender to God's Son? Let me read in closing some words from the song, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. 1744, Charles Wesley penned these beautiful words. You might want to just close your eyes and drink in these words. Come thou long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope for all the earth, thou art. Dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Born thy people to deliver, born a child and yet a king. Born to reign in us forever, now thy gracious kingdom bring. By thine own eternal spirit, rule in all our hearts alone. By thine all-sufficient merit, raise us to thy glory alone. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes right now? I'm, I'm wondering... I wonder if anyone here would like to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior for the very first time. If that's you, I would ask that you stand as a way to acknowledge that you would like to do so. You would like to enter into the kingdom of light and leave the kingdom of darkness forever. You would like to submit your life anyone here who would like to do that, raise your hand. Praise God. We all know the Lord. Then also, I would like to pray for anyone who just has a rebellious heart. Maybe you've done your best to give your life to the Lord, but you've had this heart that wants to go its own way heart of pride, and you want to ask God to help you break that and to surrender your whole self to Jesus Christ. If that's you, I'd like you to stand as well. I won't embarrass you, but I do want to pray for you, and I want you to take a stand before God and before all heaven. Without looking, let's pray for these who are standing. Heavenly Father, we just all recognize this great enemy we have called pride. And we bring it to the cross of Jesus Christ, the one in whom is all power and all ability to deliver and to set free. Born a child and yet King of kings and Lord of lords. Father, we pray for these who are standing and just want to say to the heavenlies, though I have this terrible uh, issue of pride in my life, I am surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I surrender afresh to the Lord Jesus Christ and to His Lordship. So, Father, we pray for a breakthrough for these who are desperate for You, for these who are determined to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and to not walk in pride. We bless them, Lord. We ask for the gift of Your kingdom, the gift of humility, to be dropped into their spirits in a new and powerful way. In Jesus' name. And now for all of us, I'm going to ask all of us stand who would like to receive this indescribable gift anew and say, Lord, we belong to you. Let's just worship the Lord and just thank the Lord. Lord, we thank you and we bless you and we glorify you, Lord. Lord, we don't want to live in nausea and mud town. We want to walk in wonder and the humility and peace and joy and the presence of God that is found in your kingdom. Lord, we ask that uh, we would keep you on the throne and not pull you off and climb up there ourselves. Father, we pray that we could surrender in every way afresh to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We pray that we would walk in the light and that whenever we're tempted to sin, Father, we would say, no, I must be about my Father's business. Father, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you for showing us what we really want. And it's in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jim, for that message. What do you really want? I was struck by the the lyric that said, Let us find our rest in thee. Father, I ask that each of us would find our rest in thee. That no matter what chaos, no matter what mud that we all experience, Lord, we find our rest in Thee. Thank You for Jim's sharing. I pray, Father, that it would not just be today, but throughout this coming week, we would be reminded of what's really important. Thank You, Lord, for this service. Thank You for each person that was able to make it here today. We pray Your blessing of peace, Lord, that only comes through You. In Jesus' name, amen. In closing, I want to remind you.